Good evening. It is a wonderful evening to be together and worshiping God. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. It's exciting to think about Family Day coming. Uh, I know uh, I saw Greg and others meeting uh, just before services this evening, and they're already uh, planning. Of course, they've been planning, but they're continuing to make their plans, and we look forward to a wonderful, wonderful time together. And uh, I do want to encourage you. This, this is a lot of the time the core of our congregation, and I want to encourage you. Uh, we need to, to reach out and really invite. We need to really make a difference on this day. There's somebody's eternity that is resting in the balance that we know. And they're thinking, their heart is open right now, and they're thinking about maybe making changes in their life. And I don't know exactly if it's somebody I know or if it's somebody that you know, but if we all lend the invitations, God knows who it is. And so let's do our part. Uh, Let's reach out and let's strive to make this day a great success uh, for God's glory. As we continue the study from this morning, as we think about immersed into relationships this month, we think about what culture tries to sell us as what has become a norm. And even if it has become the norm, we as Christians cannot let it become our compass. Even if it ever becomes the majority, it still does not overtake the truth for children of God. And so at the beginning of this lesson, what I'd like to do is I would like to share with you some things about kind of the reality of of where we might be and definitely the lies that culture has told us about especially the topic of homosexuality. And towards the end of this lesson, I'd like for us to go to the scriptures and I'd like to let us see what the Lord says, not only about this, but several perversions. And what I want to emphasize to you tonight from scripture is that these are simply perversions. These are examples of how individuals take what God has created to be beautiful and misuse it. And of course, Satan sells it as something wonderful. Satan sells it as something attractive. And there is, for some people in certain areas, a desire there. And so it's not questioning whether or not there is a desire to it or, or anything like that. But it's simply to say it's still a perversion and we need to be aware of it. Think. Uh, magazine that, that some of you would be familiar with. A while back, they asked teenagers to participate on a Facebook survey. They had 300 participants, and most of them identified themselves with the Churches of Christ. And they asked them several things, but I want to just bring out two of the things that in a survey of 300 teenagers where the majority, the vast majority of them were associated with the Church of Christ, 36%, that is well over one-third, that's, that's close to 4 or 5% over one-third, says, believe that homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle. Now, culture would say that, and maybe 100% of culture would say that, but it ought to startle us somewhat that our teenagers would believe that. It tells us this. It tells us that 36% of the teenagers answering this particular survey agree and understand culture's pitch that they are selling. And we have to know the difference in culture's pitch and what the truth is. 43% indicated that homosexuals should have the right to marry. 
Now that even surprises me that it's higher than the former one. But that also, when you think about it, has been one of the things that media and culture has talked about the most in recent years. With just as we mentioned this morning in July, just a few weeks ago, uh, New York passing uh, that legalized marriage of same sex. And so we see that this is on the minds of culture. Therefore, it's on the minds of our teens. And then the question is, are they going to believe what culture is telling them? Or are they going to believe what God is telling? The humanist John Dunphy said, uh, it's kind of a, a two-slide quote here, but, but just stay with this if you will. He says, and then, by the way, this is 30 years ago. 30 years ago, this humanist made this, this statement. I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as proselytizers of the new faith. Now notice how he defines this new faith. A religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. That means each of us are our own God. God is within us and so whatever we believe to be correct must be correct. That We're our God. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rapid fundamentalist preachers for they will be ministers of another sort utilizing the classroom instead of the pool pit to convey humanistic values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational level, preschool, daycare, or large state university. The classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new. The rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery, and the new faith of humanism. Have they succeeded? In much degree, they have. Not totally. But if you take the things that they placed on their agenda 30 years ago, that most of us would have said 30 years ago, it is unthinkable that that would ever become common and accepted in society. The things that they set out to make acceptable, here we are 30 years later, and they pretty much have succeeded on all their major tenets. How did they do it? One of the ways is work on the youth. Because in 30 years, who will they be? They will be the adults in our society. And what must we do? As God's children, we must always see the need to keep our compass directed and set by God and remind and instruct our children that they should not receive their instruction from culture. And they should not allow culture to set their compass And so we think about what is the truth and what are lies. Culture will constantly feed us lies. And today, our simple goal is to address truth. In other words, these lessons today would not be outlined in this way. It would be uh, a different outline if it were not for the simple plea throughout all, both of these lessons today is let's just try to to expel the, the, the lies of culture and remind and inform ourselves of the truth. For the next few minutes, I would like to share with you three studies that probably have had the most effect in recent times when individuals say, well, you know, there's no way someone could help being homosexual because there's a gay gene. And and you're either going to be or you're not going to be, and and you can't expect God to expect something out of you that, that, in essence, He's made you. That way, And so let's look at where this kind of rhetoric comes from and, and let's see if there's any validity to it. 
The idea of that homosexuality comes from genetics. Uh, one of the first studies goes back to 1991, and it's uh, Simon LeVay, and it was in San Diego. He was in San Diego, California. Uh, he was studying the size of the hypothalamus. It is a section, an area of the brain that deals with sexual activity. And he says in studying 41 cadavers that he proved that this area of the brain was smaller among those individuals who were homosexuals. Now, if that's a scientific study, and he presented it as it was, you could see how that would run and the homosexual agenda would embrace that and make sure that it's scattered across America. And in 1991, it was scattered around the world. Now, there's a few problems with his study. One would be that not all with the smaller portion of the brain were, in fact, homosexuals. So he didn't bring that out and reveal that in his study. Also, just a side note, he himself was a strong advocate of homosexuality, which makes anyone wonder if he was biased towards what he was searching and presenting. And then... Also, he never even researched the idea of which came first, the homosexuality or the smaller portion of the brain. You see, if this was going to be a scientific study, that would have naturally been one of the first things that any scientist would have looked for. But you see, he did not want the truth. He simply wanted to present, whether it was truth or lies, what he wanted to be presented. For example... It is proven that individuals that are blind and choose to use Braille as their means of reading, that that portion of their brain increases in size that has to deal with the fingertips. Now, are we going to promote a study that says now we know why individuals are blind? It's because that portion of their brain is larger? Obviously not. That came after the fact of the blindness when the increase of the centuries of the fingertips were used. You see, any scientist that's going to study the brain would know that and would begin to do this as a vital part of the research. But yet, he never did that. And as a matter of fact, when he was pressed, now this was after all the publicity was made and all the classrooms across America and all the water cooler talk across America was, do you know they discovered a gay gene? You know what he said after all of that? Look at this next slide. This is a quote from him. It is important to stress that I didn't find... Oh, it is important to stress what I didn't find. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic or find a genetic cause for being gay. I didn't show that gay men are born that way. But that's the way he first presented it. And that's the way it was spread across America. And do you hear any corrections in the media? Did we hear throughout the 90s? Anytime it came up saying, don't you remember? That was dispelled. That, that was not a truth. Oh, no. We only are hearing the lies from culture. That was about in August of 91. In December of 91, there were two more guys that wanted to jump on board with a study that was as dishonest as this one. And it was Bailey and Pillard. And this is the famous study of twins. And they studied 56 pair of identical twins, 54 pairs of fraternal twins, 142 of non-twin brothers of twins, and 57 pair of adoptive brothers of twins. And the idea was, if homosexuality is tied to, to genetics, 
Identical twins should have a much higher rate of both twins being homosexual or both of the twins being heterosexual. Well, 52%. Much higher than the fraternal rate of 22%. And so obviously, that began to be promoted. That was spread all around the world also. But there is a problem. Uh, on this next slide, though, let's see their hypothesis. This, this is simply it. If homosexuality is inherited trait, then more twin brothers would be expected to have the same sexual orientation. But now let's go back a slide. Did you notice there's a real problem? Did you notice those last two slides? If it is, in fact, genetic, they never address the fact of why adoptive brothers would have a higher rate of homosexuality than non-twin brothers who obviously would have a genetic connection. That was a huge flaw that they never addressed, and, and it, was, it, it was simply never addressed. Also, if it is genetic, why would it not be a much higher rate of identical twins who are almost 100% alike in their genetics? 52% is very low in reality if it really was genetic. And then, um, and then for this... And, and even all three studies that, that I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention one more in just a moment. This is huge. Nobody has ever been able to duplicate these studies. Do you think the homosexual community has not tried to duplicate these studies? Because there's huge flaws in these studies. Don't you know that there have been many that have studied twins, many, many that have studied cadavers? They can never come up with these numbers. Why? Because these were not realistic, scientific. And that's the idea God and science go together like a hand and glove. It is God who designed science. Christians have nothing to fear in the scientific community. What we must be concerned about is the rapid dishonesty that runs throughout the scientific community when they blatantly discard any evidence that does not back what they want to present at the time. And that's what we see over and over with all of these that have to do with perversions of sexuality as well as studies that have to do with evolution versus creation. And then let's just, if I could, just mention a third one. And I I don't want to pile on, but I just want you to see because this is one of the things that we hear over and over. And and you know, when you know these things, you're up to hearing it. You're like, how can the cultural, the culture engulf so many people and so many huge lies and everybody swallows it hook line and sinker and dean uh hamer in 1993 he did a study where he revealed to the world that he had found the chromosome it was q28 it was an x chromosome xq28 and that was the homo homosexual chromosome or gene that everyone had been searching for But yet the problem is, and I'm not going to go into all the depth, but one thing was he only studied homosexuals. And any time he would run across someone that was heterosexual, he would toss them out because he did not want to mess up his findings. It was such a dishonest study that his own colleagues turned him in. And notice this next slide. This was a result of his own colleagues. But now, by the way, the word had already spread around the, the, the world, but this time, this is, this is much later that this comes out. But his own colleagues said, Scientific America reported that he had been charged with research improprieties and is now under investigation by the Federal Office of Research Integrity, which was basically a result of his excluding pairs of brothers whose genetic makeup contradicted his findings. 
And so in 1998, five years later, what do you think he does after the homosexual agenda has already received all the success that they needed from his studies? In the Blade, which is a newspaper in Washington, D.C. that promotes homosexual activities, he said, culturally, talking about homosexuality, is culturally transmitted, not inherited. There is not a single master gene that makes people gay. I don't think we will ever be able to predict who will be gay. Friends, I don't say this to gloat. These three reports don't make me happy. Finding that they are 1,000% wrong doesn't make me happy. We can go to the Bible and see that they're 1,000% wrong. But doesn't it break your heart? Doesn't it break your heart that you and I will go to work and to school where the majority of people around us honestly believe that there is a gay gene that individuals cannot control themselves? And it's all been presented on lie after lie after lie where literally the individuals that presented it would come back a few years later and say, I didn't really find that out. But yet the damage has been done. Yes, it is true on the next slide that levels in men or women of hormones may vary. But that does not mean that anyone has to feed that and nurture whatever it may be. Just as someone who maybe would have a a tendency, if you will, toward homosexuality, they can control that just as someone else who is married may have a tendency to, to flirt or to even carry a relationship further with someone else. They must control that also. In other words, every child of God is going to have to refrain and restrain themselves and set proper boundaries in their lives, no matter what their temptations are. And so finally, we could conclude with this at this part of our lesson. If Next slide. If homosexuality was genetic, God would not condemn a person for something that he made them that way and they could not help it. But then also, 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, what we read this morning, where he says, such were some of you. If it was genetic, he couldn't say that. If it was genetic, they would still be that. But yet he said, okay, you were this, but now you are no longer this. Why? Because it's not genetic. It's behavioral. It's simply a perversion. And then third, the gene would quickly die out because homosexuals don't reproduce. And so if it really was a homosexual gene, it would only take a few generations and it wouldn't exist anymore. And then we must say what we've been saying all along. There's no scientific evidence whatsoever for this. Where's that leave us in a much more important study of the scriptures? I'd like to take just the next few minutes to take you through a reading of several passages. I simply want to read these to show you that God is not silent. Okay, that's that's all I want to emphasize on this. Culture is not silent. They tell a lot of lies. God is not silent either. And so when we finish this, you're not going to say, well, I know everything I need to know about this topic. But hopefully, if you've never noticed this before, you will be able to say, you know what? God talks about all these things. And if I really want to know what is the absolute truth, 
I can just take the time to read what God says. Now, I'm sorry we don't have slides for these. If, if you want to take your Bible or if you want to jot them down and take them and read them, we'll go over four or five in, in just a reading format. I'd like for you to go again to 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'd like for you to notice in verse 9 a list of perversions. We didn't concentrate on the two that we're going to concentrate this evening, this, this morning when we went through. But notice in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, do you not know, we're supposed to know this, that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And I'm not saying any one on this list is better or worse than the other. I think we would be wrong to say that. But this morning we mentioned several of the first ones. But you notice the last two in this verse. Both are talking about homosexual relationship. One is a word that's used to talk about the passive individual in the homosexual relationship. It's believed that probably why that singled out was because in their culture, which by the way, this was literally stated in the time that Nero would have been the emperor and Nero literally had a young man castrated, had a public wedding and lived with his man as his wife, this young boy. We're talking about 14 of the 15 Roman emperors, many historians say, were known homosexuals with very open acts. A couple of them are known to be very, very cruel pedophiles. We're talking about a culture when Paul speaks out in Corinth, he would not have been speaking out where anyone from culture would have said, Paul, I appreciate that lesson today. That was really a good lesson. He would have spoke out probably risking his life in that day and time. And what does he do? He says, okay, I want to talk to those who are passive. In other words, they're, they're probably male prostitutes. They're probably younger boys and, and young men. And, 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 and he's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're the leader of the homosexual act or if you're the prostitute of the homosexual act. You can't go to heaven if you're going to continue that career, if you're going to continue that lifestyle, if you're going to continue this relationship. Let's drop back now to Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter. Let's see another reading. Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter. We have a reading here to women in verse 5. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. See, now he's going to talk about transsexual and transgender uh, type of situations. And he says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Somebody says, wait a minute, David, this is Old Testament. It is Old Testament, but keep in mind, under the New Covenant, we are giving the principles that, that there is to be purity and holiness in our sexuality that is only within the boundaries of marriage and anything else is a perversion. And so then we say in the sight of God, what is a perversion? We can go back and study from the beginning of time. God says over and over, I can tell you what is a perversion. It's anything that goes outside of Genesis 2.24 that we concentrate upon so much this morning. Look, if you will, the 23rd chapter in verse 1. And probably this had to do with their pagan religions that were so heavily defiled uh, by all kind of, of homosexuality. And he says in, in 23 and 1, he who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. This is not the setting to go in depth on this, but if you are mature enough to understand this, yes, what you are wondering, that is what it is talking about. And so he literally is saying, if, if someone wants to, 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 to uh, change their gender, so to speak, and to make themselves no longer the gender that they are, 
He says, just know you will not, practicing that lifestyle, you will not ever be pleasing to God. Practicing that lifestyle. Such were some of you, but you can change. You can decide to leave that perversion. In Isaiah, the 56th chapter, it's very interesting when we think about that. I'm not suggesting all eunuchs, but many eunuchs were eunuchs because of their pagan commitment. And it had to do with their, their homosexuality and their pagan religion. And so now we see in Isaiah, the 56th chapter, begin reading at verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here, I am a dry tree. See what's happening here? He's saying, okay, we're going to bring into Israel some that, that want to, they want to be, quote, converted to Judaism. Can that happen? And God says, if you have a foreigner that, that wants to become uh, a child of God, absolutely. And somebody says, uh, God, can we have a talk here? We have a eunuch over here. You know, you know his past. You know how immoral he's been. He, he wants to become one of us. And the eunuch's saying, I don't, I don't think I have anything I could bring to God. I'm a dry tree. There's no reproductivity. There's no productivity in me. In other words, there's no ability for me to reproduce. In other words, there's nothing that I can bring as a worth, if you will, to God. In that day and time, there was a great worth attached onto whether or not a man or a woman could bring a next generation to the earth. That was just a natural part of their culture, part of their society. And so this eunuch is saying, I can't bring that to to your faith of Judaism Your God would not want me. And notice what God's answer is in four. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths. Now remember, Sabbath was their day of worship. He names three things here. If a eunuch wants to keep the Sabbath and choose what pleases me. See, now it's no longer about what the little G gods want. It's no matter, it doesn't matter what he wants at this time. The question is, do you want to please me? And then 30 says, and hold fast my covenant. Are you going to live by what I ask you to live by? And with that in mind, he says, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Friends, I don't know if there's a more beautiful passage of Scripture that talks about what God wants to offer individuals, that it doesn't matter what their life has been in the past. God says, you don't think you have anything to offer? Let me tell you what I'll offer you. I want you to come into my house. I'll give you your own place in my house. I'll let you wear my name in my house. In other words, God's saying, I'm not ashamed of you. I want to forgive you and I want you to become mine. And you're worried about not being able to bring sons or daughters. I'll give you a life that's better than being able to bring about sons and daughters. Does this ring a bell to you in the New Testament? Acts the 8th chapter. Who was converted? We call him a lot of the time the Ethiopian eunuch. Christ honored this promise even out of the old covenant to say, there's a place for you in the church. Friends, I don't know 
what the future of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ will be. But I can tell you this. If we're going to remain God's people, we must be a place that always welcomes and encourages all people to turn to God. We do not advocate and promote any sin, but we love every sinner just as our God has taught us to love. And we don't spend our time judging and we don't spend our time stiff-arming and keeping people at a distance. We ought to be able to say with our God, we want to give you a place We want to share a name with you. We want to share our feet under your table. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. And the only hope we have is being redeemed by the Savior. Could we read just a couple more? Leviticus, the 18th chapter, and I will try my best to read these with very little comment. You know how hard that is for me. Leviticus 18, let's look at 20 through 24. I just want you to see some of these perversions that God knows about. In other words, culture knows about them, but God knows about them, and he speaks the truth. Leviticus 18, 20, moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. Why? To defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Moelech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. That was literally offering your children as a sacrifice is probably what was just be talked about there in 21. You shall not lie with a male, he's talking to men here, as with a woman. It's an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. Somebody says, oh, well, that, that person is just a whole different person. No. You know who they are? They're a person that has a soul. They're a person that has a soul that God wants to invite in his house and give them a place. You know what they're practicing? And this is the horrible thing that our culture has done. Our culture, to be advocates of homosexuality, has made homosexuality into a point of identity. I am a homosexual. You know what? A homosexual is not really a homosexual. A homosexual is a person who has a soul that is practicing a perversion. All they have to do is turn away from that perversion. And you know who they are? They're a child of God if they turn away and come to Christ. They're a child of God that now has turned away from a perversion. Any sexual perversion is just that. It's not the person. Now, we don't have time to go into all this, but have you heard me say before, we have many adults that are stuck in adolescence. They spend all of their adulthood searching for identity. That's what a lot, and I wouldn't say all, but that's what a lot of this transgender stuff that's being advocated today and probably a lot of the homosexuality that's being advocated today, people aren't looking for a, quote, uh, a sexual type as much as they are looking for identity. I want somewhere I can belong. I want somewhere where people accept me. I want somewhere where I have a a, a feeling of importance that I'm a part of something greater than myself and I'm advocating something. And I'm not saying that everybody is in that boat, but that's a big part of it. Why? Because it is a search for identity. In their teenage years, there was not a healthy formation in their life to identify who they are. And so they're going through life now looking in the wrong places to find what that identity is. I told you I had a hard time. All right, now let's look at Leviticus 20 and let's look at just a couple more. Leviticus 20, verse 14. If a man, Leviticus 20 and 14, if a man marries a woman and her mother, does that remind you of 1 Corinthians 5? If a man marries a woman and her mother... It is wickedness. 
They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that they may be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, and, and continues to talk about that, we've already read. Skip down to 17. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter. Obviously, what are we talking about here? Here we see incest being condemned. I wish we had time tonight because it, it's something that, that needs to be understood because it really is the point of emphasis of how strongly God says that, that this has to be destroyed in our lives. And we would study Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We simply do not have time for that. But if you want to study Genesis 19, I would encourage you to read that and then also turn over to Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude and read verse 6, 7, and 8. And you get the full story from Old Testament history to New Testament summary of it and how serious it is in the sight of God. And so tonight, I would like to close, if you will, Psalms, Psalm 107. Psalm 107, what a beautiful invitation God offers all of us. Psalm 107, for time's sake, I'm going to read the first few verses so you see kind of the, uh, the, the environment of this psalm, so you see the beauty of this psalm, and then I want to skip down to verse 20. Verse 1 and 2, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Exclamation mark. He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Well, who are the redeemed? Sometimes the redeemed are people like this. Look in verse 10. If you have something in your life, and it, it may be sexually oriented or it may be something completely different, but you have something in your life that it just feels like it's taking control of you and it's not letting go of you, listen to the beauty of this in verse 10. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. You ever felt like that you were just being held against your will? Because they rebelled against the words of God. It wasn't genetic. It wasn't God's will. But that's how we get there. And despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. And they fell down. And there was none to help. You ever felt like that nobody understands you, and that there's nobody to help you. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that man, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and has cut the bars of iron in two. I'd like to read verse 1 and 2 again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of of the enemy. Why is God good? Because He can reach down and deliver us 
from what we cannot deliver ourselves from. We get ourselves into it. God says, I'll get you out of it. He is good. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.